Good morning, beloved in the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look forward in anticipation to come before you, become before your throne in confidence and boldness as your children. We know that's why you love us, because we're yours, not because of anything we've done. So as we come before your throne, Lord, we pray that you'd open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. We pray, Father, for this church, for you to continue to bless us and to heal us and to grow us, and for this community in which we've been implanted, for those who are trying to find you and for those who don't even know that you exist. And we pray for our nation, that as a nation of people, we would bow before your throne, that our knees would be bow, bow, bow before the name of Jesus, and that you would remove holiness from evil from this land with your holiness in the presence of your church. And we pray for all the people around the world, Lord, who don't know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So today we come to the fourth and final part of the four-part series. Thank you for not cheering. <laughs> Finally, this guy's done. <laughs> of living a calm, confident, and compassionate life. I'm Bill Smith. I'm one of the, the teaching, uh, uh, one of the teachers here at New Hope Chapel. And I think I know pretty much everybody here. I just don't recognize you, sir. And who are you? What's your name? Jim. Jim. Good to have you here, Jim. You'll see this is a family, so when you come into this place, they're going to adopt you, just so you know, okay? <laughs> they're going to hug you and everything, right, guys? We love on people. So, uh, we started out by talking about the importance of, in, to live a balanced Christian life, that these three would be in balance with each other. That to, to be calm and confident and compassionate is important. And if they get out of balance, then there can be some problems. Today, we're going to talk about living a compassionate life. The, two weeks ago, we started out by talking about confidence, and then we talked about calmness. Today, it's about compassionate. And what I'm going to talk about today is lacking compassion or possessing too much can impact our sense of peace or even disturb our level of confidence. Now, I know you're probably thinking, how is it possible to be too compassionate? You know, I, that almost stopped me from doing this whole series, but um, <laughs> there are some ways that we can be too compassionate, so we'll explore that as we move forward. So today we're going to talk about compassionate, and I'm going to suggest that if we become too compassionate, we're going to become codependent, among other things. And we'll talk about that a little bit and find that's actually in the Bible. The word codependent isn't, but there are some scriptures that refer to it. And of course, lacking compassion creates indifference. So our goal then is to understand what scriptures really mean by compassion and how we might apply God's word in order to fill our lives with compassion towards others in obedience with the commandment of Jesus. It's sometimes helpful to stop and think, what were Jesus' commandments? Well, there's really just one, <laughs> to love others. He doesn't command us to do a lot of other things, but he does command us to do this. And what I've noticed is typically when there's a command, it's because we don't naturally do it. So our departure scripture today is going to be from Philippians 2, 1 through 3. So let's read this together. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete 
by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. So <clears throat> this word compassion, like many of the words in the Bible, uh, it's expressed a lot of different ways, and the translators tend to translate a lot of different words into the same word. So it's often useful to go and look at what some of these different words mean that are translated into compassion. So we have this oktero, to have pity or a feeling of distress from observing the ills of others. Sympatheo, which we get the word sympathy from, uh, which, by the way, that word's not usually translated as sympathy in the Bible. It's usually translated as, as compassion. To suffer with another or to be affected similarly or in the sense of being touched emotionally. And then we have this long word. <clears throat> moved at the, I'm not even going to try it, okay? Uh, <laughs> moved at the inner level, yearning with compassion. This word splank has to do with this inner core. This is the word most used when Jesus looked at the crowds. It was this kind of word that was used, this kind of compassion, yearning with at the inner core of who he was. And then Elio, to have mercy or show kindness or assistance. So all these words here that are translated to compassion have a theme to them. And I think you can see that it seems to have to deal with feeling or emotion. There's an emotional or feeling aspect to this word compassion. The word passion itself means to suffer for. It comes from that meaning of that word. C-O-M is alongside of, like if we have communion, common. This is together, alongside of. So the word compassion is to suffer alongside of. So we have the word sympathy is, I see your pain and I feel sorry for you, and that's about it. Have a nice day. <laughs> then you can have empathy, which, which we've sort of refine this word. Empathy is not just feeling sorry for, but feeling sorry with. I I feel your pain. In fact, I feel the same pain you have. Have a nice day. (laughs) I I hope the best for you, but I'm not necessarily going to do anything about it. Whereas compassion is, I see and feel your pain, and I want to do something about it. I will come alongside if need be to assist and suffer with you. So, we have this word cathexis, which I want to throw in here to impress you with fancy words that I know. You won't find this in the dictionary. You have to go to a special a psychological dictionary. And it's a word the psychologist came up with to talk about love, which is kind of a good thing because love, as we all know, is you know, a many-splendored thing and a many-defined thing. And it can mean a lot of different things to people. And so the word cathexis psychologically means that if I cathect you... I reduce some of myself to give that to you. Some of my sort of psychological energy I apply to you. In the process, I become less, and you become more. But over time, what comes back to me is more than I gave out. That's cathexis. God cathected us, didn't he? He reduced himself, became less for a while, and then as a result, became so much more. Okay, so we're going to talk maybe about that a little bit later on. We talk about different sayings, hard sayings of Jesus, some things he said. So, compassion is empathy in action. I feel moved, and I feel moved to do something. And so we think of scriptures like, let your love not just be words and talk, but be true love which shows itself in action. Okay, so this 
can be something that's overdone. So when compassion is overdone, it becomes codependency. It's a codependency is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on another person. It can result in supporting or enabling another person's addiction, immaturity, poor self-image, lack of responsibility, and so on. Now, the, the problem with this particular codependence issue is it's a big scam because codependence will look like compassion. It'll look like, oh, I'm serving other people and I'm giving all myself to everybody else. It's actually the opposite. I'm not serving you to help you. I'm serving you that helps me. feel good about myself and I become a people pleaser. And so like pride, which is the, the most unconscious sin, codependence also has a trick to it because these people kind of get bragging rights about how they're giving of themselves to everybody else, but it's really not compassion. It's something different. So compassion is empathy in action. Codependence is overactive empathy. Is I don't even know how I feel. I know how everybody else feels. And so when we take a look at that codependency, there are some factors that are known now to lead to this issue. And so lack of love and nurture is something that we learned. Codependence is a learned thing. And it comes from as we're growing up, we learn things wrong, we learn things backwards in a way. So if there was a lack of love and nurture in the home, or I was rejected in some way or abandoned, or there was maybe an addiction in a family which caused me to have to take care of that person all the time, or there was physical or emotional or some other type of abuse could also create codependency, or maybe there was mental or physical illness in the family. It can lead from a lot of things, and it can result in some interesting things as well. So the result of codependency can include things like excessive caretaking. Oh, you want me empathy? I have the market cornered on empathy. In fact, I now feel responsible for everybody else's pain, so I'm taking care of everybody to an excessive state. It can also lead to low self-esteem. The only way I get any sense of value is when I'm helping other people. And I'm often surprised why they don't do anything for me in return, so I end up being bitter and resentful of the very people that I'm loving on, which makes me even a worse person because now I resent the people that I'm loving on, but I need them so I can feel good. This is a cycle that goes downward. Or there's denial. Denial that there's anything wrong in the relationship. So any kind of deep conversations must be avoided. I won't really express how I'm feeling, and if you start to talk about that too much, I'm going to deflect and talk about something different. I'm working with two clients who are doing this now. It's been really an interesting thing. Once again, how when you're going to talk about something, the Lord has arranged before the beginning of time for me to go through working with these people because what I realize is they're, they become self-centered. And so they set this goal, I want to be less self-centered. Now, you can't be less self-centered. You can't have a negative goal. The problem is you lack empathy. In this case, this person is too empathetic, and so they avoid talking about any of the real core issues. Another version of that is, if things seem to be going wrong, I'll deny it by keeping myself even more busy. I'm too busy to talk about it. i like, I got to go now. I wish we could talk about that some other time, but I have all these things I have to do. Right? Or there's fear of anger. Don't express any anger. It could break the relationship, and I'm so dependent on this relationship to feed this love need that I have. So I don't express anger, and if anybody else does, I shut down as a result of it. Or there can even be health problems with all that stress, ulcers, asthma, high blood pressure, all those kind of things can happen. 
and even addictive behavior. Because of all that stress and I don't feel good about myself, I have this pain in my life, so what do I do with that pain? I somehow numb it in some way with some addiction. All addictions are attempts to pacify the system, every single one of them. That's why when people say they have this addiction or that addiction, I go, it doesn't really matter to me. There's not one that's worse than another. They're all the same. They're all the same thing. So, when we take a look at uh, this idea of codependency, it can also lead to a fancier word called officiousness. Those who are in my generation remember years ago an Anison commercial where the woman is, is cooking dinner and her mother is behind her and she says, stands up, don't you think that needs some more salt, dear? And she responds in frustration, mother, please, I'd rather do it myself. <laughs> Remember that commercial? Mother, please, I'd rather do it myself. And uh, she's, she, oh, I'm so stressed out, you know, because mother is, I got to help you. I can't let you do anything because basically I think you're an idiot is kind of a way of saying that. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's a special form of codependency where I know better than you and I'm this helper and I have to please you, so I'm going to inject myself into your life. And sort of unwanted advice from time to time, right? Now, <clears throat> in Scripture, so I began to look for this in Scripture because the word codependent isn't there, but I began to find different places where it is. It's hard to see it. But in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So, okay, that's codependency. So let's break that apart for a second. Everything I talked about with regard to what leads to codependence all had to do with fear. Fear of being rejected. Fear of not being nurtured. Fear of nobody caring about me. What's the snare? The snare is I'm hooked up into this person or these people pleasing. That's the snare. So I'm fearing these, this situation I'm in. I'm fearing these people that they won't accept me. So I do anything and everything, anticipate their every need to try to please them so they don't reject me. And it snares us. It catches us up. And so what's the solution? Instead of trusting in myself to get acceptance, I trust in the Lord. There's the freedom from codependency or the beginning of that. Now, we can go uh, to take a look at, well, if it's not good to be codependent, then what does the Bible talk about with regard to dependency? And the Bible suggests interdependency. So we can go to Genesis, which uh, we look at Genesis 2.24. This is often used in wedding ceremonies to talk about a man shall leave his parents and cleave to his wife and be united with her. But even in a healthy marriage, there's not codependency. There's we each have our roles and we support each other. We can also read in First Peter 10 to serve one another, which means you serve others, but you also allow people to help you as well. By the way, that's another sign of codependency. That can be like a whole four-hour workshop in itself. Is By the way, I just have to make a comment here. When, when I do prepare, especially this series has been kind of painful for me. <laughs> because as I go to prepare, how can I bless these people? As I'm reading and studying, the Lord's like, there's another thing we're working on with you, Bill. <laughs> like, Okay, and, and so I found oftentimes I'd resist going to, to my office to prepare more because there's going to be something else <laughs> I learn about myself. Because I was pretty sure I was perfect. I was pretty <laughs> sure I had that nailed. It's actually created real good conversations for, for Beth and I, for both of us, to realize I've got some of that, right? 
So Ephesians talks about we all have different roles, and no one role is better or more important than another role. Some, you know, it's a friend of mine used to say, um, eyeballs and elbows, different parts of the body. We each have gifts differing, and we, we accept and rejoice in those gifts. And, of course, our verse that we started with in Philippians is do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit. But you do things for people, but not for the reason. So it's the selfish ambition. In this verse here, it's the selfish ambition is I get accepted and loved by people because I'm doing things for them, but I'm trusting in myself to do that. Now, if we go to the other end of this polarity, we have indifference. So indifference is having no particular concern or sympathy for others. So indifference is lack of empathy, inability to feel other people's pain, also something that seems to be learned by folks. So when we're indifferent to others, we end up really not being concerned about much what's going on, kind of blasé about things, kind of sit back and relax, don't really care about much, disconnected, uh, detached, and, and kind of wondering what everybody else is so excited about. <laughs> you know, this is no big deal. Don't get concerned about that kind of thing. Relax about stuff. And sometimes I've done that. Plato said the price, for, uh, the price good men pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. thought that was a timely quote to put up there. In the church, uh, thanks for sharing, Pastor. Now, as I was saying, we need a new carpet in the nursery. And Pastor Bob didn't think the board received this threatened resignation in the proper spirit. <laughs> sort of indifferent to the pastor, even, right? When actually we should be completely the opposite. And we're going to get a pastor, okay? We're on the way. So, <laughs> what is God's word? So, in the meantime, we just keep pastoring each other, amen? Yeah, because we're good at that, I'll tell you that much. So, what does God's word say about indifference? Well, you know, it almost goes without saying, but let's go ahead and say he's not thrilled with it. In fact, a lot of verses talk about this. So we're going to share a couple of them with you. In Revelations three fifteen and 17, the Lord says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Oh, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And then we can go to the story about the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm sure many of you remember this story. So this is in Luke, the 16th chapter. And it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Beside all this, that between you and us is a great chasm, and it's been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. 
He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them. Warn them about what? Don't be indifferent to the needs of... Now I'm adding that to the scripture. (laughs) Okay. So that is among others where we see a condemnation of indifference. It's, you're not allowed to check out once you come to know the Lord. So we're talking about having too little or too much of something. So when we have too little empathy or too little compassion, we lack empathy and we're more self-pleasing, uh, focused on surviving and might use others to move forward, can also be judgmental and possibly a loner. Wherewith we have compassion in the center, we, we're empathetic and self-aware and God-pleasing. Take action to alleviate other suffering, forgiving and understanding and non-judgmental about people's situation. Too much becomes codependent, too empathic, not knowing who you are. Lack a sense of identity, low self-esteem, a people pleaser could become a reactor to things or maybe even controlling. So we have the self-pleasing, the God-pleasing, and the people pleaser. So indifference is sort of, I've got my own problems. People need to make better decisions. And this is basically saying, I'm not even going to try because God is too hard to please. Whereas we have the codependent or officious person, I know what's best for people, so I need to show how helpful I am because I need to impress God because he's hard to please. So we see that both indifference and codependence are judgments upon God. He's too hard to please. So... As we move forward then, take a look at this word compassion, and I've been intentionally avoiding using the word love, because this word compassion comes from, as we looked at, a sense of feeling about something. And love is way more than a feeling, isn't it? Many people think love is a feeling, and some people even get married because of it, because they fell in love. Then I like to ask them, have you been married for more than seven years? They go, yeah. I go, then at some point, you fell out of love. And the reason you're still married is because you chose a new love. And this new love you chose is actually more powerful than the one you fell into. So love is a choice. It can have feelings with it. But here's the key about love. Even when the feelings go away, we hang in there. right? We stay the course because I chose to love that person. This is God's love, right? If God's love was only based on feeling, I think we would have been wiped out a millennia ago, right? Because last I checked, we can easily do a lot of stuff that frustrates God, at least if I was God. You'd have been all wiped out (laughs) a long time ago. (laughs) So there are these four types of love we read about in Scripture. Eros, the physical love between a husband and a wife. And then we have storge, family love, the bond among parents, children, and siblings. Then we have this philia love, the love for a friend or a brother, and then, of course, the ultimate agape, unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love, considered the highest form of love. This agape love is what we're commanded to towards God and towards others, as well as sometimes we're commanded to have this philia love. We're not commanded to have these two bottom ones in Scripture for the most part. So acquiring compassion for God, to get that, if, you're, if some of this is like, yeah, I've got some of that indifference or I've got some of that codependence, at least if you're like me, some of that hit with me. Or as Julie said, it pricks you, right? It touches like, ouch, wish I wasn't doing this study. 
So step one would be to forgive those who hurt you, who led you into this process of indifference or this process of being codependent. And admit to yourself and to God that your own human love is inadequate. You may have learned that. If you love people with your own love, what happens to it? Eventually runs out, right? And then you, you have a hard time moving forward. It's insufficient. We can only love others the way God loves them with his love. And then so step three would be to ask him to fill your heart with his love. I use a little phrase, Father, please fill my heart so full with love there's room for nothing else. <laughs> That's all I want in there. And then step four, to apply God's word into your life. To apply God's word is really about reprogramming your heart. I have all great eight grandkids. Um, Simeon is number eight, Sarah and John's little boy. And uh, he came out and was born with a special gift and talent to sleep well. <laughs> Which is a blessing, right, for those who have kids. Like, this kid is really good at sleeping. Of course, the head is also forming during those times. So sleeping always with, like, on his, his back, his head is, is misshapen. And so they went and they got, they did all this fancy analysis of his head. And so he now has this special helmet. And designed with lasers, computers, and it'll be updated, and it's going to reshape his head. And if you see him, he's perfectly fine. It kind of looks scary at first, didn't it, Liam? Like, what's wrong with him? Nothing's wrong with him. Yeah, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's fine. Uh, but it has an interesting shape because there is no helmet where it's okay for his head to keep growing. But there is helmet and pressure where the helmet needs to stop that and move in another direction. And it occurred to me this morning that God's word is just like Simeon's helmet. If we, if we wrap ourselves in it, it'll let us grow in places where we need to continue growing, but it's going to probably pressure in places where we perhaps should stop growing in that area. If you're really getting good at being prideful, you're going to feel God's pressure from his word to stop growing in that and move that back a little bit. It's the reprogramming of the heart. We read in Proverbs my child, be attentive to my words. Proverbs 4. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Everything that you're doing is coming from your heart. God's word will reprogram your heart if you allow it, if you know it, and if you quote it. And again, I keep emphasizing, you've got to say it out loud as well as think in your mind. So some scriptures that you can use, and we'll say these together. I have a spirit of compassion. Already it says that. You already have it. It's already there. The next one. I am humble, gentle, and patient with others through love. Bill, I really don't feel like I'm humble and gentle and patient. I know you don't feel that way. <laughs> but that's how you are, according to God's word. He can put that pressure on you there. The next one, I enjoy putting love into action. The next one, I think of others' interests above my own. That doesn't mean you also dismiss your own interests, by the way. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you should have no interest whatsoever. That's what the codependent personality is doing. This next one, 
I am learning to love others as Jesus loves them. And then, I walk in compassion for others. This last one might seem strange to you, but it's in the Bible. Sorry. Ready? I am to God a sweet aroma of Jesus to others. You ever think of yourself like that? I'm a sweet-smelling aroma to God and to those who are being saved. That's God's Word. You can say that to yourself, and you should say that to yourself, even though it might not feel right initially. Frederick Buechner talks about four levels of love in the book, The Magnificent Defeat. And he says, The love for equals is a human thing, a friend for friend. Brother for brother, it is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. We probably use that filiate love, the brotherly love. This is a love that a lot of us have, especially with the eight grandchildren. You know, you just pick these kids up, and man, this love is right there immediately. I mean, they are so easy to love, aren't they? You just look at them, especially the Simeon one. He just looks at you and says, just give me any reason to smile at you. Just do anything at all, I will smile at you. So you just go... He goes, hey, you know, I love it. What is this kid? This kid need a horse? What's he need? I'm going to go buy him. <laughs> but that's not compassion. That's easy love, level one. Level two is the love the less fortunate. That's a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion, and it touches the heart of the world. This is not normal to love those who are less fortunate, unless you're in the Lord. Sometimes that can be hard to do because some people, when they look at their situation, it's kind of hard to even approach them. I was watching this social study where they had this little girl go into a restaurant dressed two different ways. You see that one? And when she was dressed very dirty and poor, everybody wanted her to get away. But if, if she was asking for food in the restaurant, rather wealthy people in there. But she came in dressed really nice and asked for food. Guess what happened? <laughs> Have a seat at our table. They were able to do level one love. She's easy to love. Look how pretty and, and clean she is. And she came in dirty and so on. In fact, at one point they had to stop the study because people were being so mean to her, she broke down crying. They, they stopped that. This is the level of love I'm talking about here, level two. That's, that's all I'm encouraging us to work on getting there. It blesses people. I'm reluctant to share this, but it, it, makes, it, it kind of fits here. Uh, when I was on a long trip, and I stopped at Breezewood, because you, you have to stop in Breezewood. Just, I don't care if you're a mile away, you stop there, right? <laughs> and I was hungry, and as I was driving in, I saw this, this guy off the side in a truck, and it was all sort of rusted out and everything, and I drove by. He was in it by himself, and I guess his wife and kid came in later. And so I pull around, and I'm in the, the drive-thru, getting some gourmet food from Taco Bell. And... Um, and I see them pull up behind me. Now I see it's not just him in a, you know, a loud, rusty truck, but he's got a wife and a kid in there. So I've always heard about this, you know, pay it forward or pay for the people, whatever that is. So I'm going to do that because bless this family. And that's what I thought I was going to do. So after I paid for mine, I said, is this family behind me ordered? She says, yeah. Well, I said, what's their order come to? And she told me. And I said, here, I'm going to pay for them, thinking I'm going to bless them. That's not what happened. This girl went, you're paying for the people behind you? Yeah. <sighs> I've had such a terrible day. I thought there was no good left in the world, but there is good left in the world. You, you know, and I'm like, well, no, I'm not good. 
<laughs> the Lord was blessing her. She was the one struggling. The family Jaime might have been millionaires disguising themselves in an old rickety truck. I don't know, but anyway, probably could have. That's all I'm talking about. Get to level two love. I'm setting the bar too high. There is a level three and a level four. You interested in seeing level three? Yeah, you're not going to like it. <laughs> I'm just saying, remember, you asked for this. Say, so level three is to love the more fortunate. It's a rare thing to love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice, the love of the poor for the rich, for the employee, for the employer, for the janitor, for the CEO. This, the world is always bewildered by its saints. That's level three love. Some of you in here might be recipients of that kind of love, by the way. And then level four is the worst. Again, Fair warning. You want to see this? This is going to hurt. <laughs> then there is the love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks you, threatens you, and inflicts pain. The tortured love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. I don't like to brag, but I've had a couple opportunities to love at this level. Opportunities. Where my bragging goes away is I didn't avail myself of those opportunities. It was just too hard for me. I work on it. I tried it a little bit, but right back to this. Because I want to take vengeance. And the Lord says, yeah, vengeance is mine. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you with the vengeance. <laughs> I'm not talking to those people anymore. I'm not going to forgive them. I'll get them then. That's God's love. So we're talking about these three being in balance. Love, confidence, compassion and as I was preparing this two weeks ago I was driving in the car and a slide appeared kind of up here I, 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 I kind of reluctant to say the Lord showed me this but I think the Lord showed me this because it seemed so smart that I couldn't have thought of it myself it was almost distracting because you're not supposed to text and drive, and I don't know if you're supposed to look at slides and drive that you see, but it was really clear to me uh, there's something going on here that I should be talking about. And so when we took a look at calmness, we talked about if you lack calmness, we tend to worry about things. And then we took a look at confidence, and when we saw lacking confidence produces timidity. Sort of the same thing, aren't they? And then we talked about lacking calmness can produce apathy. And today we talked about lacking compassion produces indifference. Sort of the same thing. The last one's a little harder, but we'll get there. Then we talked about being too compassionate becomes codependent. I'm the people pleaser. I'm quite proud of how I'm able to take care of everybody's needs. Well, when somebody's too confident, they're arrogant and become prideful. So they're all connecting to each other. And then this morning... This is how I wait for the last minute, or at least the Lord waits the last minute to show you something. He said, uh, so I can substitute uh, passion with love, right? And I often ask people, what's the opposite of love? Most people say what? Hate. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the opposite of love is fear. The opposite of love is fear. So I thought maybe the opposite of confidence is apathy and indifference, and the opposite of being calm is arrogant or codependent. 
I'm just sharing because I'm like, wow, I didn't see that. I had no intention of talking about this until just a few days ago. And then something else came to mind is that we go back just to these three. Another reason I didn't use the word love, but rather compassion, is because love really covers all three of those. If you love the situation you're in, you'll tend to be thankful for it. If you love the job you have, you'll appreciate it, and you'll be thankful for God. If you love God and you love yourself the way God loves you, you will tend to have confidence. And if you love others the way God loves them, you will have compassion. All three are love. Then it occurred to me, if you're in balance of all three of those, you also have power. Because the situation, as you're in it, you're calm. You have, the situation will have power over you. You have power over the situation. Every once in a while, somebody will ask, how's the world treating you? Ever have somebody say that to you? How's the world treating you? I say, the world doesn't treat me. I treat the world. I don't go by what the world tells me. I tell the world, here's how I'm treating you, and I'm going to love on you. But if you have confidence, you also have power in the Lord. And as you are compassionate towards others, you have power in your community. And all those are simply a way of practicing the holiness, as Steve just talked about during the communion, that God has covered us with the blood of his Son. So we have power, we have love, and we have holiness to live this balanced Christian life so that we can walk in confidence, walk in calmness, and walk with compassion. So we have no final music, so please stand and receive this blessing. Let us pray. And as we bow our heads and stand with confidence before the Lord, I know there's at least one of us here, which would be me, but there might be others who sometimes struggle with worrying about things and perhaps we shouldn't. Or sometimes we get a little prideful about things or we tend to worry too much about pleasing other people. Or we sometimes become indifferent or apathetic. And I understand that, and the Lord understands it, and He wants to work with us. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall run and walk and not faint. May God bless you in the hearing of his word. May he continue to lift you up and to show you where in your life he wants to work with you and wants to work in you to heal you. He doesn't need you to perform for him. He will perform through you and perform for you. You are his beloved, the apple of his eye. He yearns for you. He delights in you as you delight in each other. Go in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.